day doesn't make it a a bad day. <laughs> I feel like you have a lot. You seem to have a lot of days like that whenever there's just a lot moving across your desk. Right. Yeah. I do. Okay. Uh, I mean, we have auditions this week, and on top of that, I'm the I'm the coordinator. So whenever there's a problem, um, it comes to me. And that's a, that's a lot. And today there were a lot of problems that crossed my desk. Yeah, I, I feel okay. you. Uh, this is like the, the, the first two weeks of everything is always just like that. Yeah. It, oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's normal stuff. Yeah. And it'll calm down, especially after auditions are over. Because a lot of the stuff that came across was... I don't know what to do, and I don't know how to do it, and la, la, la. And it's a lot of me trying to help people and calm people down. Like a lot of students or professors? Yeah, no, it's students. It's trying to calm them down, trying to reassure them, trying to make sure that they know that nobody ever expects anybody to be perfect. Yeah. Because they don't got to be, but they so want to be. Yeah. And I would love to make the world where they could be perfect, but I can't. So I'm just reassuring them that, you know. But there was a lot of that today because, again, they had callbacks yesterday and they have callbacks tonight and then they have callbacks for me tomorrow. So yeah. they're all like, yeah. and I'm just like, calm down. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> Chillax. So there was a lot of that today. I think you, you do have to serve the mom role in the theater department so many times. <laughs> like, it, I, I bet, I'm willing to bet statistically, you've probably had the most breakdowns in your office. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. That's, I'm, I'm kind of the mom of the department. So yeah. what usually when somebody's having, like, a problem, you know, professionally or with the department with you know not with the department but with school um with classes or whatnot or um you know even personally i hear about it yeah so and i try my best to make them feel better mm -hmm. well i mean you did a really good job of it i try yeah like, <laughs> there's been i think it's like so many times when like I'm well not so many times it's been a handful where I've like come in your office and had like some sort of thing sorted out I needed to sort out or um just to ask you about stuff because like obviously you're going to respond to certain things differently than say Matt Brent or Daryl yeah I think they kind of have the same if I went to my dad with like a medical issue when I was younger, he would just be like, I don't know, man, ask your mom. And so I think they would kind of do the same. thing. It's funny, I've come to Daryl for certain things and sometimes, and he's usually great, but sometimes he's like, oh, I don't know, man. You know, <laughs> that's just how he is. Um, one thing, oh, one thing I wanted to tell you slash kind of ask you about is, um, didn't you say that you did theater in Hollywood for a while? Florida, no, 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 no. In Florida, Hollywood, yes. Florida. That's what I mean. Okay. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. yeah. I did theater in Florida, in Hollywood, Florida. No, and I'm. Yeah. Well, I'm asking that just because I spent. Um, I spent like a good chunk of my summer in Hollandale. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Um, weird area. Like it's. I did not expect it to be kind of what it was. Um, that's not to say I didn't enjoy it. I've never. I've. I have family on the southwest side of Florida, so I've been going down there once or twice a year since I was little. But I've never been on the west or the east coast mm -hmm. um and it was just much different i much prefer the, the west coast of florida but um so while i was down there one of the things i was wondering is like what did you what did you do in hollywood and like what was your 
because I remember you told us a story about it, I think freshman year and you kind of talked about it but now that I've been there I was like oh what was that I remember that um, okay well I actually lived in Fort Lauderdale which is adjacent to Hollywood mm-hmm. um, uh, in Fort Lauderdale I was the education director at Fort Lauderdale Children's Theater so basically I taught ch- classes to children age 3 to 18 and it was like a private after school weekend kind of thing um, I did deal with homeschoolers though um, and so on Thursdays where normally I wouldn't have kids until like 2 or 3 o'clock I had kids all day long um, because I was dealing with a homeschool program um, which was nice because it got the kids out and interacting and that kind of stuff and definitely a different kind of personality there with the kids it was like directing very and working with very short 45 year old people (laughs) (laughs) but I did that and then I also would do um, theater on the side that I would get paid for professional theater and I directed mostly adult theater and when I say adult I don't mean like bow chicka bow bow I just mean like grown up theater because I was doing like you know James and the Giant Peach during the day and the afternoons with the kids and the weekends but when I would do the adult theater, I would do things like, you know, you can't take it with you and that kind of stuff. And so I'd work with adult actors. And would that be community theater or professional theater? Uh, yes. It's a <laughs> higher, it's a high, it's community theater, but it's, it's paid community theater. So the actors would be paid, the director would be paid, um, the, the people, it was paid. I mean, just like, really, when you get right down to it, Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale Children's Theater was a community theater. But I was a full-time employee, and all my directors who did the shows and all my other teachers, they got paid, they were employed. Um, so, yeah, so it's community but you're getting paid for it mm, okay so. what um what was the i remember you telling us there was an incident that happened and you don't have to talk about it if you don't, don't want to but i remember something happened in when you were working in hollywood where you had to like deal with some guy trying to get into the theater or something oh the drug dealers oh yeah the drug dealer story yeah that was yeah. fun uh-huh. um that one actually went from hollywood to fort like that one kind of spanned both um we had somebody who worked at our theater and um yeah i mm, he was an interesting soul um and he had big holes in his resume and I was new there, and so when it came time to hire him, they were like, I wasn't on the committee to hire him, but they did show me the stuff. I was like, he's got huge holes in his resume. Do we know what that's all about? And they were like, oh, but look at this and look at that, because he did have some pretty impressive stuff on there. I was like, okay, well, whatever. And so he worked with us for a while. And then um, one day I got a phone call from one of my coworkers, Janet, who lived in Hollywood. Um, and she was like, can you come and pick me up? And I assumed, I assumed her car had broken down because, um, uh, well, you were there in Florida. If you spit, it floods. 
I mean, it's, yeah. yeah, it really does. It floods it's, really it's, easy. Especially depending on when you're there, if it's the rainy season. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it had rained a lot that night, and I figured, and this had happened to her before where her car had actually gone underwater. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll pick her up. So I go to pick her up. Nothing's wrong. And I'm like, oh, okay, we'll get in my car. I'll take you there. You can borrow it to go do your thing. I'll be in there all day long. And I was like, what, what's wrong with your car? Did you have it towed? And she's like, no, I had it stolen. And I was like, oh, well, do you need to go to the police? And she's like, well, I'm not going to the police yet because this person, we'll just call him John. That was not his name. But John stole about $500 from all the people that live in this house that we live in together. And he stole my car and... We don't know what happened. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'm like, I told you he had big holes in his, but I didn't, I didn't say it. Yeah, so we go. I, I told you so it was, yeah. Yeah, I didn't say it because, but, but it was there. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? And so we, we come in and um, park my car, whatnot. And she comes in, Janet comes in, my coworker. She comes in and she's getting her stuff together because she has to go out because she was the outreach person. And I had a bunch of students. And I had a class in one room. I had a whole theater full of kids watching kids perform. And then I had a green room full of kids. So I probably had about 250, 300 small children there. And we had a security door because we were in downtown Fort Lauderdale. I hear zing, 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 zing. And uh, I opened the little door. You know those little teeny tiny doors? I opened the little teeny tiny door and I see John. (laughs) Again, big uh, quotation marks. I see John and I'm like, oh, Janet wants to talk to you. And he's like, let me in. And so then I notice there's two guys behind him, and one of them has a gun, and he shows me the gun. And I'm like, well, that's not good news. And so and I'm like, I'm like, what's going on? And the guy behind him says, you need to give us $300 or we're going to kill him. He had smoked a bunch of crack. Oh, and he, okay. Yeah, so that $500 he stole, he smoked more than $500 worth. Oh, so, so he, like, owed money to some people. Yeah. Ah. And he brought them to the theater to collect, to which I was like, I looked at them, and I was just like, and I looked at Maurice, and this is the moment, I always say, this is the moment that's going to define whether or not I go to heaven or hell, but I don't know which. Yeah. Because what I said was, all right, then, please take him to the side parking lot, because I have children in here. And I slammed the door shut, the little door. Yeah. <laughs> At which point I could hear him going, no! At which point Janet comes up behind me and opens the door and lets them in. Oh. And, well, yeah, but, and again, this is one of these moments where I was young and I was stupid. I looked at the guy with the gun. I was like, you touch one child, and I swear to God. And he was like, ma'am, I will not touch anybody. And I was just like, I think he was scared of me that point <laughs> I was about to say I was like you don't have much of a bargaining chip in that situation uh, not really he had the yeah. gun but I'm yeah. not sure it was loaded I think he was just trying to be you know intimidating yeah but they got the $300 and they left 
and John was fired. Fair enough. Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. They didn't want to call attention to it, so they just didn't say anything about it, but John was fired. That's, yeah, I think that's grounds for a firing. Yeah, actually, he wasn't fired. He was told he would resign, so we didn't have to oh, pay really? it. Yeah, so we didn't have to pay his un, uh, unemployment insurance, or we would go to the police. That's what my boss told him. Fair. And so he resigned. So this was in Fort Lauderdale? This was in Fort Lauderdale. That was, it was always the kind of, like Fort Lauderdale, Miami, and then Hollandale and Hollywood, it was always a little bit sketchier than Southwest Florida, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, parts of it, yeah. 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 But I mean, every place has sketchy areas and everything, but... Um, yeah. Where that place is now, though, I mean, they've built up. I've seen it. I mean, that was like almost 30 years ago because I'm old, Forrest. <laughs> um, and they've built up, and it's a, much, it's a much nicer, much safer place to be than it was when I first worked there. Because when I first worked there, it was like, it was not a good neighborhood, let's just put it that way. That's why we had a security door. How long were you in Florida, like working and living? A couple of years. Mm -hmm. A couple of years. I um, had been living in Virginia working as an adjunct at Christopher Newport University. Mm -hmm. And then I lost that job because they lost funding, which is pretty typical for a university. And so I was working as a, um, I was working as a um, substitute teacher in K through 12. And I hated it. It's the worst job I've ever had. Um, no, it's just terrible. It's terrible. And I, that's why I admire K-12 through teachers, especially the people who are like substitutes, because, oh, my God. So you go in, and you're just like, I don't teach math, and yet today I shall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and nobody wants me to teach math, trust me. Um, so, yeah, so I hated that job, and so then I took the job in Fort Lauderdale. And like I said, I did, I did work in Miami, I did work in Hollywood, and then, of course, my principal job was in Fort Lauderdale. And then this place opened up. What, uh, what theaters did you work at, or are they not there anymore? Or? God, I don't remember. Um, oh, I don't remember. Hollywood Playhouse is one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, Fort Lauderdale Children's Theater. Um, there was like a Broward County Center or something. Dude, this is 30 years ago. <laughs> um, so places like that. And I, again, I don't even know if they exist anymore. Poor little children's theater does, but I don't know about the others. I might have to sit down with you uh, at some point in the future and ask you kind of about it and maybe if you can remember any of them because that is probably where I, I'm going to end up living. It would not that area on the other side of Florida, but after graduation, I might be in Florida. Like that's where I might base myself for a little bit. Okay. Um, but I, there's, there was a lot of like art centers in, mm -hmm. um, around, it's like echoey whenever I wear the headphones. <laughs> but uh, there was a lot of art centers around like Bonita Springs and Naples and that kind of area. I didn't see a lot of theaters. And I didn't really see any when I was in Fort Lauderdale or uh, like Miami, but I didn't really look. So um. the thing, at least again in the time that I was there, the thing that I found was very interesting was there was lots of there were lots of big theaters that brought in lots of money and did really really good work, like the Broward one, which is which was really big. I mean, it, it was kind of on the same scale as like 
the Carson Center in terms of oh yeah yeah but they had their own company that was there um, but the thing that I, I it, it, it had a very small town feel even Fort though it was Lauderdale? a very big yeah even, well no the whole theater community oh the theater community yeah in that and area. it was really hard to break in and the only reason I was able to break in as quickly and as easily as I was was because my roommate Carol had been there for quite some time Mm-hmm. Um, and she was fairly well known. She was like in the first ever um, production of Zombie Prom and that kind of stuff. So she had some pretty serious cred. Oh. And so and she was like, "Come, come with me. Come do this." Because she was trying to entice me to stay. Because uh, she knew I wanted to be a college professor, and so she was trying to get me cemented. But then this job came open before. I was really deeply rooted there. And so I took this job because I wanted to be a college professor. Why Murray State? Because they had a job. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's theater. Um, uh, honestly, David Balthrop called me. He's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's currently the dean. Um, but at the time, he was the director of the theater area because we weren't a department yet. We were an area. And they had just established the residential college system. And one of the one of the people who worked here, worked here, which was James Isham, he was a residential college head. At the time, that meant you only had to do half a teaching load. Now it's, I think, three quarters of a teaching load. And then, so he was doing that. And then um, Mark Malinowskis, who was also in our department, half had half time for the honors. Um, the Honors College. And so they needed somebody to kind of fill in that crack. And so this position came open and I applied for it because I knew David and I got it and I was only supposed to be here for one year. That's a short contract, it seems like, for this kind of thing. I was, but it, well, no, because I was like a, I was like a, I was a lecturer is what they called me. And I was a one-year contract, renewable for a second year. And David was like, they'll probably renew it for a second year, but you're probably not going to be here beyond two years. To which I was like, okay. Because I just wanted out of there um, because of situations like what happened with John. Yeah. Um, and so I, and I wanted to have some college courses that I taught college. Because all I had was like a year of being an adjunct someplace else, and at least as a lecturer here, I would have been a full-time lecturer. And so I wanted to um, put that in my resume, but then, I don't know, they kept me, and so I just hung out until they finally gave me my 25-year pin about a week ago. So yeah, I'm in my, I just finished my 25th year. Oh, cool. Okay. So, yeah. It's Did, a nice little pin. Yeah. Wait, they, they give you a pin? <laughs> yeah. Um, because of COVID, they were spo- okay. They're supposed to do this like thing at the beginning of the year where they have like, you know, a luncheon and the president talks and all that sort of stuff, and then they honor you there. And they didn't do it because of COVID. And they said, okay, for those of you who are going to be honored with something, we'll figure out something else. Just, you know, hang tight and we'll figure it out. And I was in play analysis class. And I was talking to my kids. And I was about five minutes into class. And I had a knock at the door, and the provost showed up. And I was like, oh, oh, crap, the provost is here. What does one do when the provost shows up to one's class? Um, after you pee a little, you go, what do you want? And the provost was like, 
talked about how he'd known me for 25 years and how I used to be a part of the same department as him because he's a communications person. And then he gave me the pen and congratulated me and sh shook my hand or fist bumped me. And my whole class cheered and I told him and I meant this, it means more to me to get this in front of the students than in front of my colleagues. Sorry to my colleagues, <laughs> but I like you, but I love my students. So it meant a lot to me to get in front of them. The play analysis class is always a good crowd. That's my favorite, that's my yeah. favorite class. I miss that class and I miss, I think my mistake in college is that I took too many fun classes as a stupid freshman and a stupid <laughs> sophomore. And so now I'm looking back and I'm just thinking I could have enjoyed them better had I known what I know now then. But that's, that's life. But I got my schedule made by David Balthrop and he just because you were a freshman and that's what yeah yeah i got the high school tour or the orientation or whatever it was and we walked into the computer lab and he just got on my gate and he's like that's your schedule i'm like okay <laughs> right so I, I don't know it does my heart good that basically a library research class you consider to be one of the fun classes so i loved play analysis <laughs> it was i it, it I'm not a math guy, I'm not a STEM guy, so that analytical aspect of it was right up my alley. I loved it, and that's why I ended up choosing you know, to do a play analysis for my senior thesis, because I enjoy the work. And that's the kind of thing I feel like if you don't enjoy it, or, or, or you're not at least marginally passionate about it, it's going to get super gratuitous very quickly. Even right. with Faith Healer, when I was doing that, I got fatigued like, 80 pages in and I was extremely passionate about that so I'm glad that I did do a play analysis but I I loved it and that was my first kind of taste of college work was right. when we did play analysis I that was probably the only time in college where I stayed up really late just typing away at my computer like the only light on in the in the dorm room with me and Corey Storm was just my desk light and I'd be up until two in the morning working on play analysis stuff but that was the only time in college I really had to do that for some reason was my freshman year so I thought that was what it was like for the rest of it just like long nights of work and stuff and going to the library and checking out books play analysis was the most like stereotypically collegiate class I've ever taken like I had to go to the library and check out old dusty books and then I'd sit in my room until two in the morning typing in my dorm like it was very like college experience or what I thought it would be like and then the rest of college it was like it's 11 p.m. I'll cut out I'll do a few more pages in the morning before class yeah uh I love play analysis because when I got my directing degree, that was really what I kind of focused on was script analysis and whatnot. But yeah, people, people, you are not the only one to say that was a lot of work and a lot of fun all at the same time because I know how dry that can be. So I try to make it fun. But you made it really fun. Well, thank the, you. the way you. Do you remember, I don't know if you've done it with other play analysis classes, I assume you have, but the Star Wars lecture? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, oh yeah, I always talk about Star Wars. Yeah, I hadn't seen Star Wars at that point, and that was really interesting, even though I hadn't seen Star Wars. I knew about it, because I watched a bunch of movies and TV shows growing up, so like it's referenced in everything, so I know about it, and like no the gist of it but I never sat down and watched all of them until about three summers ago right. and now I'm obsessed with Star Wars but um, 
that was that was great. There was like there was just a whole day. I don't remember how you re- you related it to Shakespeare. I thought, I think I remember that's what you did. You came in and then you said talked about Star Wars, but you related it to something theater related. Well, it, it's structural. Oh yeah, it's yeah it was thing. the narrative. It's perfect structure, and I always talk about. If you if you look at the structure of a play and you look at Aristotle's structure and whatnot, which is what you study in yeah. film and theater and all that sort of stuff, yeah. the whole exposition, denouement, point of attack, all that kind of stuff, Star Wars is perfect. It fits it perfect because it hits every one of those things, like moment of recognition, reversal, um, and all of those things. Um, and so I love to use Star Wars because I'm just like, most people have seen it, but not everybody, but most people have seen it and it's iconic and it is perfect. So I use it to explain structure a lot. I use it to explain genre a lot too. So, cause it's a classic melodrama. What's your favorite trilogy? Of the Star Wars? Yeah. Um, the original. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, the... I know a lot of people hate the um, Ray trilogy. The new ones, yeah. Yeah, I don't hate on that quite as much, and part of me doesn't hate on it. it. It's very selfish, but part of me doesn't hate on it because I took my daughter to see that, oh. actually, at Disney World. Yeah. And she really didn't know Star Wars yet, and so I took her to see it. And I was just, I actually started crying when I was watching it with her because I was like, you're getting to see what I very rarely to never got to see as a child, which is a female lead in an action type of role. Yeah. I was like, we didn't get that. And if we did get it, then their cleavage was hanging out and you could see their butt cheeks and it was all about sexuality and beautiful hair. I'm not saying that Ray wasn't a beautiful woman because she was. But it wasn't about what she looked like. It was about what she could do. And I was just like, this is a role model, Lydia. And she's just like, what? And I'm just like, but you don't understand. I didn't get that. <laughs> and you're so lucky to have that. And I tell her that all the time. So. See, that's, that's, that's so nice that you can, you have, like, well, she has that and now you have that. Because, I mean, me as a, this is being selfish of me. Me as a guy, I didn't even really think about that. That I just just watched it and enjoyed it. And I, I like the. A lot of people don't like the sequels, the sequel trilogy. I like them because they're they get the 21st century like visual treatment. And so it's right. like Star Wars as as well it, as it can be done visually with all like explosions and like the, everything's very high definition everything's so well done but i i honestly liked ray i really enjoyed her as a character i thought certain things kind of didn't make sense like the whole her becoming a skywalker sort of thing and but yeah, oh, the script was flawed yeah i i will admit that i i think one of the biggest well um what's his face lucas didn't do those three yeah but I think part of the problem with like the one with like um, Anakin that shows the descent and how um, Darth Vader came to be. Mm-hmm. I think the problem with that was that in the original Star Wars, George Lucas wrote this thing and he wrote this script and he showed it to everybody. But he sucks at writing scripts. He's good at plotting, 
and he's a good director, and he's all that kind of stuff. But he he's a sucky scriptwriter. He's bad with like dialogue. And yeah. Stuff. Oh, he's tor- did terrible. Did he write those the prequels? The prequels, yes, he yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> and some of those really terrible names are his way of trying to win over his daughter's uh, post-divorce because he let him he let him pick a lot of the names. That's really? My understand- That's my understanding. But yeah, but basically Harrison Ford would be like, George, I love you, but this sucks. And he would just improv a lot of it. Hearing about Harrison Ford, about like his relationship with Star Wars, it's really interesting. Like there was a, there was a talk, he was on a talk show or something. And I think the talk show host was like, hey, a lot of people are wondering who shot first. And then Harrison Ford was just, I don't care. <laughs> it's just, I, I got paid. And, uh, and then I, it's also, like, you know the story about how he got cast. Obviously, he was like right. a carpenter. Right. That's all super interesting. And, and learning about the behind-the-scenes stuff with Star Wars is, is really cool. Yeah. I bet it was a lot of fun to work on. Like, Carrie Fisher seemed like she had fun. And I think that was, like, her first movie, wasn't it? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That was her yeah. first movie. I watched a documentary about a... Uh, a separate documentary not about Star Wars that had Carrie Fisher in it and when she did Star Wars she, she got famous after mm-hmm. and part of what she was talking about was not being able to go out like she used to because she didn't expect Star Wars to blow up like it, it did and so she would go out and just get swarmed by people well people don't remember that Star Wars was an independent film that wasn't like backed by any kind of studio it was an indie film and I remember the first time I saw a trailer for it, it was on Dr. Madblood's movie, um, which was a local horror host that I love. And he showed a clip of it, and I was just like, this is different. This is not like anything I've ever seen. And it wasn't like anything you'd ever seen before because there was really no studio um, – there was no studio um, intervention or anything like that. Were there George a lot of Star Trek do- comparisons? when it first came out? Um, well, I mean, there was confusion because Star and Star, Star Trek, Star Wars. Yeah. Um, I was little. I was like seven or eight when it came out. So I don't really remember that. Yeah. I do remember being a big Star Trek fan, though, but mm. it was totally different. I'm still, everybody thinks that I'm like a huge Star Wars fan. And I am, I like Star Wars, don't get me wrong, but I'm actually more of a Star Trek fan. I think it's, I bet it's easier to be a Star Wars actor than it is a Star Trek actor because of, I feel like when you're a Star Trek actor, you are just required essentially to go to all these like conventions and things like that. Whereas as if, I feel like Star Wars actors, they just kind of do the movie and you don't necessarily have to mess around with a lot of that stuff. No, they go to conventions all the time. My daughter peed right next to Princess Leia. Oh, really? Yeah, they went to the bathroom and my, my daughter's like, what's going on? And I wasn't there. Russ, my husband, had taken her and he was waiting outside because, you know, he's not going to go into the women's restroom. And she's like, you know, seven or eight years old. And this like big giant group of men come and they're like looking at my husband like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Stock in the bathroom. What's going on? You're a scary guy. And then my little teeny child comes out and's like, daddy. And then uh, he lived. <laughs> but then Lydia's like, uh, Lydia was like, was the princess next to me? And I was like, oh, my God, you peed next to Princess Leia. Oh, my God. So Princess Leia was in the next stall for my daughter. That's my claim to fame. But 
Like someone dressed as Princess Leia or no. Carrie Fisher? Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher. Oh, my God. She had God. this entourage of people making sure she was safe, and she had to go to the bathroom. She was at this, she was at this um, convention. And, yeah, and so... That that's Lydia's brush with fame. Oh she peed gosh. next to Carrie Fisher. That's incredible. <laughs> what is um you've been going to conventions it seems like for quite a while. When did that start and what is like how long is your relationship with conventions and what's that relationship like to you? Um, I went a lot when I was in like when I was a teenager and whatnot. We I would go to horror conventions a lot. And my husband, who I did not know, he also went to a lot of Star Trek conventions. Um, we met in a comic book store, so we really are. We call ourselves geeks in love because two geeks came together. They That's fell awesome. in love. Um, so, and I kind of fell out of it around the time I went to grad school because I went to grad school. And when you go to grad school, you'll understand why you fall out of stuff. God, I hope so. Oh, my God. It's theater boot camp. Really, seriously. Oh. Yeah. I mean, sans the bugle in the morning, but pretty much, yeah. I do need a theatrical kick in the ass. That would be good. <laughs> I'll bugle you. You uh, just let me know when you need to get up. and great. I'll. <laughs> um, so I kind of fell out of it. And then we started getting back into it once. Um, actually, we started getting back into it once I got into The Walking Dead. So, however many years ago Walking Dead started, which I don't remember. So it's, it is a long. It is a long-running show. It is. This is its last year. Yeah, I, I saw a new season come out. I didn't even know it was still going. Yeah, this is its last year, though. They they've said that this will be the last year. There may be sequels, but this is last year for The Walking Dead. Is it still good? Uh. <laughs> I feel bad, but to say that it is as good as it was would be to be a lie. Um, I, I mean, I'm still enjoying it, but they've deviated a lot from the comic, which in some ways is very good because um, I, I, I love the comic and I finished the comic. Um, but I, I still contend that Robert Kirkman can't write a woman. He writes men in women's bodies. Um, and the show writes women, like how women, so they've changed things a little bit. Um, they react more realistically as opposed to, like, again, a sort of comic book stereotype sort of way. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm still enjoying it. Let's just put it that way. Well, I mean, it definitely. Well, there are certain things and shows that I know say this season is bad, but I still love it because it's, I like the show. Yeah, I honestly, okay, there are things that, they made some mistakes in the show. Yeah. The biggest mistake they made in the show, in my opinion, is they killed Carl. Spoilers, sorry. Um, uh, he was, he aged quite a bit from what I remember. I, I stopped watching after the prison. Oh God! So you missed a lot. I the prison a lot. was, yeah. That My was mom like, got me into it. Yeah. Um, yeah, they didn't have to call, kill Carl, Carl though, because they do time jumps in the comic book, and the time jumps would would accommodate that. And I really don't know why they killed Carl, but they killed Carl. Maybe was it like an actor issue? I. There are lots of rumors. I don't know the truth to any of them, but I, it was a big mistake because when I read the comic book and even in the early seasons of the show, to me, the whole, the whole comic 
and the show was about parenting. How do you parent in an extreme situation? And here's this man, the, you know, Rick Grimes, who is, how far will he go to ensure the life of his child and that he has a good life? Because everything is always, while it may not be Carl's story, everything is wrapped around Rick's struggle to keep Carl safe. And I guess because I'm a parent, to me it made sense. I was like, okay, this, this, this is about Carl. This is about surviving the zombie apocalypse as a father. And once it killed Carl, I was like, I don't care. Because now it's just about zombies. Well, from what I remember, too, it also was, I never really thought about it framed in the aspect of it's about parenting, which that makes sense now that you've explained it. But I remember also a big part of that was him dealing with the mother of his child. So mm -hmm. Carl's mom with what she did after he vanished and got together with, was it? Shane. Shane, yeah, it was Shane. Yeah. Did they work together? Were they both cops? Yeah, they, yeah. they were partners. Yeah, so he had to like deal with all of that on top of dealing with Carl, so it was like a step-parent situation he also got involved in, along with a zombie apocalypse and all that. Yeah. That was, I, I, yeah. I liked Lori a lot better in the show. A lot of people hate on Lori, but I was like, if you hate on Lori in the show, you should read the comic. Oh, my God, she's a monster in the comic. But in the show, she again, she was just a parent who was trying to keep herself and her son alive, and she would do what she needed to do, whether that be, you know, maintain her relationship with her husband or maintain the relationship with her lover, which was Shane. And, you know, she did what she had to do. Yeah. Um, and ultimately it led to her downfall. Um, it led to her death, but... She... She... I think she died when they were, weren't they, didn't she die when they were living on that farm that had the zombies in the barn that were family members? No, that? no. Oh, okay. In the, well, both in the book and in um, the show, she dies in the prison. Oh, she died in the prison. Yeah, in okay. the prison she dies, or excuse me, in the show she dies in the prison, like, first or second episode. They haven't even made it livable yet, and she dies. In the book, they're in the prison for quite some time before she dies. And in the book, she's killed by a bullet, and so is Judith um, from the governor. Yeah. Um, she's trying to escape, and he shoots her in the heart and then gets Judith because she's, she's carrying Judith. In the prison, which I think is a far better death, um, she dies giving birth to Judith and telling the people that are, I think it was Maggie and Carl, actually, you have to kill me. The baby has to live. Cut her out of me. She has to live. And I was just like, again, it was an homage to parenting. You know, you die for your children. Yeah. You're put on this planet for your children. And so it, it was actually a really redemptive ending for her because it, in the last moment she did the major sacrifice, the, the ultimate sacrifice, to make sure that her daughter lived. 
I'm playing Allison all over the place. I'm it's, sorry. It's what no, I do. No, no, this is no, this is, and it's just that's it's just such high stakes, you know. That's well, the whole show is full of high stakes situations. Yeah. And that's I think part of what makes it so addicting. Yeah. Uh, but that particular moment in the show, I do remember that. It was many years ago. I watched The Walking Dead, but I do remember uh, that part. I think I watched the episode with my mom, and um, yeah, that's. I met, I met the actress. I even told her. She actually got a little huffy with me at first, and then I was like, oh. no, 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 listen to me. I, I, I told her at first, I was like, I don't, I, I've been reading the comics for a long time, and I really didn't like Lori. And she's like, okay, because people don't like Lori, a lot of people. Yeah. And she was like, okay, I know, you don't like Lori, nobody likes Lori. I was like, wait, 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 wait. I didn't like Lori in the comics. I want to thank you for making me like Lori. Because Lori was a human and a mom, and I related to Lori in many ways. I still think she made a few sketchy choices that I wouldn't have made, but I was like, but I related to her, and I thanked her for that. And so, so and she's I, better after that? Oh, yeah, she's way better. We, <laughs> we actually chatted for a little while, and then she signed my poster. How many of the Walking Dead actors did you meet? Oh, I've met a lot of them. Um, probably about 30 or 35. Oh, do you have a favorite? Um, actor? Like a favorite one of the cast members of The Walking Dead that you've met. Maybe you just enjoyed them more or they were the nicest or... Probably the nicest was the guy who played uh, Herschel. He looks like a nice man. <laughs> yeah, I was very fortunate to... I actually met him twice. I was very fortunate the first time I met him to meet him while he was still in his still in full health, and he was impressed that I actually knew his career. Like I was talking about other stuff he did, um, and and how much I love The Walking Dead and all that kind of stuff. And I actually talked to him for a good long time. The other one I talked to a lot was um, Christine Serratos. Mm -hmm. Um, she she actually wouldn't let me go at one point. Um, really? Yeah, because I was sitting there, I was talking to her, and I was like, okay, she didn't have anybody around her, and I was just like, okay. And she's like, wait a minute, you've read the comics. I was like, oh, yeah. And she's just like, I literally was leaving at one point, and she grabbed my hands. and It's like, oh, no, don't go. I want to know more. And so I'm telling her all this stuff that goes on in the story. So, yeah, so I was with her for, God, a good long time. And the guy who played um, Dwight... I spent pretty much the day with him. Really? Yeah. That's pretty cool. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. I'm so. always terrified to meet actors because you just never know. Especially, I mean, I, I don't, I've never really met anyone other than, like, Earl, um, but it made sense that I met him because of how he comes and right. goes from Murray. But I've never met any other actors that, have, you know, done stuff like The Walking Dead or anything like that. So it's always just kind of scary, in my opinion, to meet actors because you just never know. You never know if they're going to be nasty or nice or whatever. I mean, most of the time, they're people. I mean, oh, what, absolutely. I've, what I've found is, is that the more successful somebody is, the nicer they are. It's really the people that aren't as successful that have the attitude because they feel like they're supposed to have the attitude. You know, yeah. Um, so yeah, so there's uh, there's a lot of people. I don't get. I, this sounds bad, but it's just like I don't let that intimidate me. There are a couple of people that would intimidate me. If I ever met Neil Gaiman, I don't. I just think I'd cry. 
I just think I'd walk over to him and go, you're Neil Gaiman, and just blubber. <laughs> and that would be the end of the conversation um, because I adore him. Um, but uh, they're just people. I think it depends, too, how you approach an actor because I think any person will reasonably get tired of the same interaction over and over and over. Like, this is kind of an apples to oranges analogy, but obviously I personally hear the words run, forest, run all the time. <laughs> so I assume Tom Hanks has gotten tired of that as well. Right. And anyone else that's an actor might get exhausted of hearing the same reference to this one character maybe, especially if they have like 500 ID, IB, IMDB, IMDB credits and maybe just one particular right. role is what they're known for. Well, I've met, I've met, um, I think it's where they're at in their career too, because also it's like, I met um, Matt Smith, who I have a huge crush on. I think you know that, right? Like Clerks? No. No, I'm no. not. Matt Smith. Matt Smith, the 11th Doctor from Doctor Who. Oh, yes, yes, yes. No He's kidding. really hot. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I met him when he was still the Doctor, uh-huh. and he was just great. I mean, if you said, could you do the giraffe dance for us? He'd get up and do the giraffe dance and just look a fool. And then um, I met him another time, and I mean, maybe it was just a bad day for him, but he was a little more aloof, a little more difficult to get a hold of of course when i met him it was covid was also going on Mm. the second time i met him and i was like okay i'm just going to give you a little space because i'm giving everybody a little space because it's probably a lot more daunting as an actor to interact with fans after covid not only because of the spread of disease but also because i feel like people naturally distrust people a little bit more when they can't see most of their face right or they're a little bit more on guard if i meet someone wearing a mask it's it's a little i'm a little bit more reserved and on guard i guess because i can't see their whole face and naturally my mind is like i don't trust this i can't see your whole face so. No, I understand that. I do, I do too. And you can't really you can't read what they're thinking and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, so I get that. But I also, you know, I talk to sometimes um, when I do teach an acting class, which is rare because um, I mostly teach directing and play analysis. But when I do teach an acting class, one of the things I do tend to talk to people about is the responsibilities of being an actor outside of being an actor outside of the craft um, because I do believe there's a responsibility there because I'm just old school enough to believe that just like I'm just old school enough to be like okay if you're an athlete and you're making 15 million dollars you're making 15 million dollars and you're a role model and if you're playing the doctor or if you're playing Daryl Dixon or you're playing, you know, Captain Kirk or whoever you're playing, you have not just accepted a role, you've accepted a responsibility that could go on for the rest of your life. And you need to know that and understand that what you make has is more than what you do in a moment. Especially if you're doing film or television, it goes on and on and on and on and on, and people will look up to you. So you think that's the responsibility of an actor is I think being a role model? Yeah. 
Yeah, I do. I really do. I think that's part of it. Um, is and I and I miss some of that. When I miss that a lot, I get up. I actually get upset with actors when they're just like they don't care about their fans because I'm like. They're, you do this for them. You don't do this for you. Well, I feel like whether you like it or not, when you're an actor or a performer in general or an athlete, you are entering into a relationship with strangers. Yeah. A lot of strangers because they're going to appreciate your work and they're going to take away something from your work. We did the joyous object exercise in um, Daryl's class. Uh, it's the Introduction to Acting, THD 105. And one of the joyous objects was a guy went up and he's from France and he went up and he talked about his he had a tattoo that said 24 and he talked about his relationship with Kobe Bryant essentially mm -hmm. how he watched him on YouTube whenever he was like seven and he wanted to be like him and, and just exceed and do all these other things and you know Kobe Bryant has no idea this man has that tattoo or you know this kid from France had that, you know, much respect for him and wanted to change the, the development of his future based right. upon how much he respected Kobe Bryant as, a, as an athlete. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I think whenever you pursue something like this, if you reach a certain amount of success and notoriety, uh, might be the wrong word there, but mm. if you reach a certain amount of fame, you do become somewhat in a relationship with your fans and yeah. you, I think you need to be self-aware of that. One of the reasons again I loved Matt Smith so much is because when I was a little kid I had a very hard growing up. Was, I won't get into details but I had a very hard growing up and I used to come home and run home so I could see Doctor Who and it was the fourth doctor um, but Matt Smith was the doctor and I was like oh I'm gonna get to meet Matt Smith yeah da 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 but as soon as I turned the corner and I saw the actor all I saw was the doctor who I would pray at night would come and pick me up in the TARDIS and take me away with him. And I just started bawling. And he was like, oh, come here, come here. And he just started holding me. Oh. And I was just like, I was just like, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. You're Matt Smith. I know you're Matt Smith. I'm not one of those people. And he's like, he was like, yeah, that's okay. But it's okay that you're emotional about it um, because that particular character was important to me because that particular character made me feel safe as a child when I didn't always feel safe. So I do think there's a huge responsibility to that when if you're an athlete or if you're you know, an actor. I talked to my daughter about it because she's training for the Olympics right now. And I'm just like, if you do this, there's going to be some little girl who's going to have your picture on on their wall. So that's responsibility. And and I'm like, are you ready for that? She's like, yep. I'm like, okay. We'll see. God, that's going to be so exciting as a parent. I mean, and I don't know. Scary she, and, you know. I don't know if she'll make it. I just know she wants it. And I know that, okay, if I said I want to go to the Olympics, that's a fantasy. For Lydia, it's a dream. Dreams are achievable. Fantasies, you know. Yeah, you could, uh, you could, she could reach that. Yeah. 
I have fantasies that I'm going to marry Carla L. Cullen. That's not going to happen. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she could achieve this. So, but if I were to think the same thing, that would be a fantasy. I'm not good enough for that. So. I, I, I think you might be a little late for Tokyo, but yeah. I mean, next one. I don't know where it'll be. I think you Los could, Angeles. Re- really? Los Angeles. So sorry about that. Los Angeles, then Paris, then uh, Australia. Did you look that up after? Yes. <laughs> as soon as she said she wanted to do it, I was like, okay, mom and dad want to know where we're going. We Los to, Angeles, that's kind of boring. Book a hotel. Yeah. And I was just like, but uh, mom and daddy have always wanted to go to Australia, so that's the year you should shoot for. And she's like, mom. I was like, I know. I'm just messing with you. Is it Sydney or Melbourne? I think it's Sydney, but I'm not positive. Oh. I don't know. It's Australia. I want to go to Australia. I've never been. I've never. This Olympics are cool because I've never cared about them until I got older. And now it's just, you, you see a lot of like okay. internet posts. You're, you're so, so sorry. It, this is not. This is not a professional interview. It's all good. So sorry. Hold um, on. Let me turn off my sound. I'm listening to you. Um, I, I think it's so funny just how the United States does in the Olympics, like how well they do usually. And it's just, I don't know, it's entertaining. I don't, it's, it's, it's one of the few times I think a lot of people feel really patriotic if they're yeah. not usually patriotic about the United States for whatever reason they might have. But it's, <laughs> it's just watching, it's funny watching the United States just steamroll other teams and like volleyball or something just other countries but it's, it's just an interesting concept and how long it's been around and, and it's I don't know it's cool and then also I don't have you ever heard of like how the they build Olympic stadiums in, for the Olympics nearly every time they build a whole like new one and then it just becomes abandoned yeah 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 I loved the best Olympics that I've seen in a long time um, was the Chinese Olympics? Oh, the Beijing Olympics! Oh my God, those were beautiful! Oh my God, the opening ceremony and the and the the drums. F- yeah, and what do they call that place? It, I forget what it's called. the The name of the arena that they used it, it had a it had a nickname to it. Mm. But that thing was just a friggin' work of art. I mean, just the building, the architecture of it was just it was drop dead gorgeous. And mm. I loved everything about the 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 Chinese Olympics. I really like the Winter Olympics. Yeah. So I, pl- I played hockey, so like winter sports, I think are really interesting to watch. Um, but also, just I, I enjoy just the concept of like this. These are the best players from this country. Like especially like the American basketball team. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Have you? And also, have you ever heard of the? I'm not a big sports person, but I knew this story and thought it was funny. But I think it was sometime in the '90s. It was the Olympic Dream Team. And it had like Michael Jordan and like Charles Barkley and Magic Johnson and a few other people on it. Yep. And basically, they played in the Olympics, but Michael Jordan didn't really care about the Olympics, Olympics itself. He was just observing how the other players were playing. That way, the next time he played them in the, in like the NBA, he ended up just destroying them or something. Oh wow! But I he, didn't know that. Yeah, he when they played in a when he played on the dream team with like like I said like Charles Barkley and those other guys, he was just kind of watching how they played so that he could beat them in the NBA when they came back and he did. That's cool. That was new though that they would have the professional because it, the Olympics used to be only um, only uh, amateur, and so that was the first year with the dream team that they allowed professional athletes because our basketball team wouldn't always win because all of our best ones were in were in the NBA. Yeah, it seems weird not to use professional players. 
Well, they do now. Yeah. I mean, they, they changed it. But like in the 1970s and the 1980s, you had to have an amateur status in whatever it was. So. Yeah, that was, um, that was when the miracle, the 80s was the miracle on ice, right? Uh, I don't remember. I'm was, sorry. I think it was, eight, I mean, I haven't, I don't remember specifically either. I just know about, like, the game. But I think it was, like, 89. But, um. I mean, I remember the game. But I don't remember what year it was. Yeah, it was like a bunch of college Americans beat a team of Russians. I don't. I still don't know the specifics about it. I haven't seen the movie. I need to see the movie Miracle on Ice, but I think it's just a cool story. Plus, I love hockey. And we were not supposed to win by a lot. Oh, yeah. We were supposed to lose. Yeah, like in one of the early rounds. I think it's funny finding out how good Russians are at things growing up. Like, in college, I found out Russians were very good at theater because we learned about Stanislavski and, right. and all that. And, you know, they're really good at hockey. And, you know, they beat us in the space race. And, I don't know, it's kind of funny. It's a cultural thing. I mean, to be honest, the arts are more embraced overseas than they are in the United States. It was just like when COVID happened, there were all these people that were just like, you know, all these artists and, and whatnot were out of work and theaters were shutting down right and left and people were like, well, that doesn't matter. And I'm just like, what are you doing right now? Are you watching TV? Are you reading a book? What are you doing? I bet you it took an artist to do it. Um, and it really, it really um, highlighted to me how much the arts are one, um, Poo-pooed, mm-hmm. and two, absolutely necessary. Because again, again, me and my husband sometimes will be like, "What do you do in the in the zombie apocalypse?" And I was like, "I have no skills." And Russell's like, "No, you can keep you can entertain people." And I was like, "That's not a skill." And then once COVID happened, I was like, "Oh no, that's a skill. That's an important skill." I feel like you could be like the protected matriarch of a community. <laughs> I'll be Carol. <laughs> I'll make the cookies and kill the kill the bad guys. So, uh, but anyway, I think uh, I think that's about good. Okay. This is this is perfect. So. Cool. Anyway, thank you so much for being Not on. Not a problem. Sorry, I was late. Oh.